Pastor Xavier Reese wants to know what's most important to you. The whole society pushes us to be rich. Kids are taught to succeed, money, 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 money. They're never told anything about being good husbands, good wives. And there's never any teaching, never any training, yet the scripture focuses on that. A lack of contentment financially reveals my idol. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be all. He didn't say where your heart is. He said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. or $1 million. How much money does it take to be happy? That's the question that's been asked and pursued throughout generations. Well, today, as Pastor Xavier continues his look at the book of 1 Timothy, he explores the concept of satisfaction. Let's join him for today's study, Be Godly with Contentment. The things that people do to obtain money and the things that are done through the power of money stagger the imagination. Women sell their bodies for a few dollars. Individuals kill for a few hundred dollars. And people marry to obtain wealth. And people sacrifice their families for the sake of a lucrative job. And you can continue to add to the list. Now, nothing wrong with money. Money is amoral. It's neutral. It's the love of money, as we will see, that Paul points out, and the obsession for it. We need money like anybody else, but it's the problem of living for it, doing anything and everything that you need to to obtain it, sacrificing the true valuable things. This is nothing new to our generation. It has been here since the beginning of time. If the Lord should tarry, it will continue. It will not get better, at least in our American society. It always becomes more and more obsessive. The sixth and last division here that we see in chapter 6 of the epistle deals with personal counsel. To the minister focusing on the gospel message of godliness and contentment of material gain. And and he begins there in verse 3 on down to 19. But remember... As we've been going through Timothy, you have to think of the progression, what has been going on, the problems from within the church. The leadership has gotten caught up with all this false teaching, and and it's just tore the church apart. And Paul is dealing with issues very characteristic of the Ephesian church. Money was a big problem. These guys were teaching. They were hucksters. Nothing new. You know, this began early in the 70s with the quote-unquote faith movement. And that went into the whole aspect of name it and claim it. And you can grab all the money you want because you're the king's kid. It's your divine right to be healthy and wealthy. Some of you have attended some of those churches. Some of you still do. And these guys teach, and the only ones getting rich is them. And it's a gospel that is foreign to the scriptures. Whenever money becomes the focus of a ministry... No, that ministry is off. In chapter 1, as you remember, Paul dealt with the proclamation of the gospel of truth to prevent and stop false doctrine. That's how you do it. Second chapter, he dealt with the preparation for the proclamation of truth by how? Prayer and holy living. And in chapter 3, he dealt with the qualifications for 
the church offices of bishop and deacons, and he also mentioned deaconess. He says you want men and women who are godly, who are going to represent God. And he picks up that theme and he continues to hit it from different perspectives because it is so easy to confuse what true godliness is. Let me give you an example real quickly. You know, as Christians, we come to Christ in faith and we come through grace and faith and we say, oh, yes, I didn't do anything. But as we move along, if we're not careful, we start preaching and teaching people that you do certain things and that makes you godly. And it's a very subtle progression that goes on. And then pretty soon we're teaching that, you know, if you do these things, then you're godly. If you don't do these things, you're not godly. And though that is true that I don't do certain things, I don't do things I used to do before. I don't go out and get drunk. I don't go out and party and bust people's face. I don't do that kind of stuff. I used to do it. So those things are automatic and they're a given. But when I start saying if you're really godly, you would do these things, and we think that the things make us godly, we're wrong. It's who is in us that makes us godly, and we're going to see this. And because he's in me, then I... Live my life after his life by the work of the Spirit of God. Paul now here in verses 6 through 8 is going to describe the godly person who stands in sharp contrast to the ungodly teachers he has just described in the previous verses. To give us a proper view of godliness in relationship to material gain. And he gives us three important principles. Let me read these verses for us. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Real basic. Here's the three principles. Verse 6. The principle of godliness is based on attitude. Attitude. Secondly, in verse 7. The principle of godliness is based on the fundamental evidence. Giving proper perspective. Fundamental evidence. And then verse 8, the principle of godliness is to be lived out in life with contentment. Notice first, the foundation of godliness is based on the attitude of who I am, not what I do. Who I am. The godly believer stands in sharp contrast to the false teacher of verse 3 through 5. The godly believer does not do things to be godly, but he yields and depends on Christ to be made godly. I can never be what I am right now before Christ. If I could be what I I am now before coming to Christ, then I wouldn't have to come to Christ. It's the fact that I've come to Christ that I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul says. Notice he is identified with the consenting of a healthy doctrine, the words of Jesus in contrast to the false teacher that he speaks about in verse 3. This is the godly person. We get our word hygiene from that, wholesome health-giving. They're identified with Jesus Christ. Notice also that he has a character in line with the doctrine according to godliness at the end of verse 3, in contrast to the false teachers. And then he has the mind of Christ confirming what Jesus taught Throughout the scriptures, the Beatitudes in in Romans or in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, they're Beatitudes, not do-attitudes. Beatitudes, I can be that because of who's in me. It's not the matter that I do to become, it's that I do because I have become a son of God, a daughter of God. It is because of him, because of the principle of abiding in him. The vine and the branches in John 15, 3 through 4. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, notice the word godliness. 
It is a key word to the epistle, which means piety and holiness. That which is the inner reality, not the outward formality. Too many people try to deceive people by how they act outside. We all are familiar with that. Before we came to Christ, we had a personality for the girls, for the guys, for the party, for the job, for the wife, for the kids. And, you know, and, and inside, we're rats. <laughs> godliness speaks of what I am inside. This godliness is made possible only through the mystery of godliness, which is Jesus Christ that Paul mentioned in chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the article in the Greek is there, the mystery of godliness. Who's that? Jesus Christ, who became flesh. And because God became flesh, then we can become God-like in character because he made it possible as he saves us, as he lives in us. Now notice the godly believer is a son and daughter of God. Thereby he is compelled to do what? To honor God. That's what we're talking about. In, first, in, in John 1, 12, it says, As many as received them, to them gave you the right or the authority to become the children of God and to those who believed in his name. Because we're children of God, we honor the name of God. Now, I know this is days passed by, and I'm going to give away my age, but there was a time when you were raised in your home, and your father brought you up, and you had his name, and he says, you know, and you didn't want to tarnish his name. And many times, children and young men were held back from doing certain things because they would say, what would this do to my father's name? What would it do to the family? It was a restraint. It was, there were social breaks to an extent. Well, we are children of God, and the first thing that should come into my mind and heart is, if I do this, what's it going to do to my Father in heaven? How am I going to tarnish his name? Because I bear his family name. And this is what Paul is talking about. My attitude of who I am will manifest what I do and how I do it. But notice, secondly, that godliness in a person's life is affirmed and confirmed by contentment. It's affirmed and confirmed by contentment. The word contentment there means to be self-sufficient, having no need of dependency from external aid. Paul uses this word to describe the self-sufficiency of the believer whose sufficiency is dependent on Christ himself to empower him to live the life of contentment economically without murmuring or forgetting God. In fact, this word appears only two times. Here's the first. And the second one is in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And if you recall when we studied Corinthians, it is where God is sufficient in and through the believer to be able to provide for the poor saints of Jerusalem because he has been a good steward and he lives in such a way that he needs no outside aid. And he has enough to impart to others. Only twice it appears. And Paul takes this word that is so commonly known by the, by the culture of the Stoics. And he puts it for the Christian. That if these pagans, if these people who are lost can have enough self-discipline to give this message to people who are in the world, how much more we as Christians through the living God who gives all things as we see the proper priority and value of things, and he'll move into that right now. 
the verb form is used of Paul when he declares that he's learned to live in whatever state he's been. Remember Philippians 4, 11 and 12 through 19? He says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Where I've had a lot, I've enjoyed it. When I've had a little, I'm fine. That's a good place to be. You have to hang on to everything real loose. If you've been raised in a family or a culture, maybe you came from another country as I did, that you didn't have everything and you were taught to, to take care of things and all that, then you value things. Even as a pagan, you can have those good qualities. And you're a steward of it. But when you lose perspective of where you came from or you lose the perspective and the value of a dime or a penny, then you've lost it. Whether you have a little or you have a lot, the amount is really irrelevant. The important thing is your attitude. The godly believer does not think that godliness is a means or a process to reach the goal of material gain, to enrich oneself. Now, sadly, too often, Christians have given this message clear, and it brings charge to the kingdom of God and the gospel. The kingdom is not about money. We need money. We use money. But when money becomes the focus of the proclamation of the gospel, then know that it's a corrupted and tainted proclamation. We are commanded by Scripture to take an offering once a week for the benefit of the people who come. They just give to God as God has blessed them. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And that's all we're told to do. Jesus never took offerings in the hillside. He didn't say, oh, man, Sermon on the Mount. Woo, 5,000. Okay, let's take an offering. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, you know, the gospel's been paid for. I'm going to die for you. And God is going to make it possible through you. So give. We Christians, we give to the work of God. So that we can reach the lost. We don't beg. We don't make money the focus of the kingdom. And whenever that becomes the focus or promotion like some kind of TV commercials, know that it's not biblical. Whether it be a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Calvary chapel, or anybody else. It's the rule is straight across the board. We need money, but we don't live for money. I've got to walk in the Spirit. Now notice thirdly, the quality of godliness is, with contentment is great gain. Here's the true value. Godliness with contentment is of greater value than riches with ungodliness. The word gain means profit or acquisition. Whatever you gain, whatever you amass. The material gain of a person does not affect his godliness, but in fact it can be a liability. In fact, he's going to, as he moves on, we don't have time this morning, but he goes on in chapter 6, there, verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and the snares and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so... If anything, money is going to make you more godly. The chances are. It doesn't mean that because you have money, you're ungodly. 
Because you can have money and be a godly person. But the chances are that if you're not walking with God, that money's going to open doors to corrupt you. And those doors that you think you can get in, and that's power, and power corrupts, and power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and one thing leads to the other. Some of you understand that. Some of you have perhaps experienced that. We certainly see it all around us. Have you ever seen any of the biographies on TV? All these people, these actors, these musicians, these Hollywood stars, they're all messed up. Money corrupts them. But you know what? Look to the church. Money corrupts people too. The, the church is not exempt. A lack of contentment financially accuses God of being unjust and unfair. Unfaithful. A lack of contentment financially reveals my idol and where my treasure is, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He didn't say where your, where your heart is. He said where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The whole society pushes us to be rich, to succeed. Kids are taught to succeed, money, 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 money. They're never told anything about being good husbands, good wives, being good parents. And that's where you spend the majority of your time, as husbands and wives and parents. And there's never any teaching, never any training, yet the scripture focuses on that. Because that's the true value of life. Riches are not evidence of godliness, nor should the evidence of riches conclude that a person is not godly. One can be rich and be godly. One can be poor and be ungodly. One's attitude is really the thing that reveals one's perspective of the true value. So we have to be careful of, of making straight across board conclusions about poor and rich. When contentment begins to be lost, so will godliness, which becomes the greatest loss. For what profit is it of a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. There's an old Persian fable of a hen and a mouse and a rabbit who lived together in a little house. And they were happy and content because they shared all the work. Then the rabbit, the rabbit cooked the meals. The chicken carried the firewood. And the mouse, he brought the water from the nearby brook. Each did their work faithfully and they were all contented. But one day while the hen was going out to the forest for wood, a busybody crow asked her what she was doing. When told the crow complained that the hen was doing the hardest part of the work and the rabbit and the mouse were making an easy mark of her. Try as she would, the thoughts kept rankling in the hen's mind. And when she returned home with her load of wood and her still heavier load of discontent, she cackled. I do the hardest work ever. We ought to change our jobs. Discontent spread. As you know, it's easy to do. And immediately the rabbit and the mouse also thought they had been doing the hardest work. They agreed to change their jobs. The mouse would cook. The rabbit would gather the firewood. As the rabbit hopped into the woods, a big foxtail saw him, caught him, and ate him. The chicken put in the pail in the creek 
And the current was so strong that it pulled her in with the pail, and she drowned. The mouse wondering why they weren't back and they were taking so long. While he was sitting on the edge of the big pot of soup, he lost his balance and fell in. <laughs> Through discontent, all three not only lost their happiness, but their very lives. Do you know how aptly this describes the majority of Americans? Oh, if I could only be like him. Oh, if I could have his wife. If I could, this. oh, if I could have his house. I, you know, discontent. My attitude towards godliness will be in direct proportion to my relationship of walking in the light. Not the things I possess. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There is the true value for godliness that I walk with God. He listens to me. I have access to him. We walk together. Valuable. My attitude of contentment, which affirms and confirms godliness in my life, should never be Confused with complacency or laziness. Some of the most lazy people I've ever met are Christians. Paul the Apostle, you remember in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 and 8, said, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anybody's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. As Christians, we should be the hardest working people in the entire world on whatever it is that you do. Complacency is a comfortable lifestyle without taking full advantage of the opportunities available to better oneself and to be a good steward of God, becoming lazy and indifferent under the guise of Christianity. Oh, God will provide. He gave you two hands and two feet. He gave you a mouth that says, feed me. You have to work. Contentment is the satisfaction and gratefulness to God for what he has provided by being a steward. And to live within my means, not beyond my means, and to live without murmuring and complaining. Listen, real simple. If you make a dollar, don't spend a dollar ten. If you make a dollar, don't spend a dollar. Save something. My attitude of contentment should not be of such that it exalts poverty. Because there's no premium on poverty. But there's no premium on being wealthy either. There's greater harm in being wealthy without God. So there's a danger on both ends. But my attitude, because some of the most people with harm and, and people that are, don't have contentment are poor who are always coveting the goods of the rich. So it can be from both ends. So we have to be careful of that. So the principle of godliness is based on my attitude, huh? Attitude is the most important thing. You know that as parents. You know, your kid's doing something and having problems with them. You know, you say, don't do that, stop doing that. They stop doing that, but they'll start doing something else. You got to sit them down and make sure you get to the attitude. What is the problem here? What's going on? I get to the heart of the matter, the attitude. Then the attitude goes away. Then the manifestation goes away, right? And God wants to deal with our attitude towards these things. And not just that I don't do this. You know, like the guy says, I don't go out with girls who drink, who smoke, or who chew. You know what I mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? 
You know, and we start interpreting our Christianity into all these legalistic things. And if we do this, then God has to do this. And we have to be real careful. Pastor Xavier Reese and a reminder of what true faith really is and isn't. Well, be sure you tune in next time for more from today's lesson. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to join Pastor Xavier, though, you can get the next best thing, a copy of this message, Be Godly with Contentment. It's available on CD for only $4. Just tell us which one you prefer when you get in touch. And make sure you bless someone else with this study when you're through listening. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Be Godly with Contentment, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This way we can use our resources more effectively. What do you value most in life? Take the test when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com